Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, the kind of thing that you can complete in an evening or a weekend, video games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by awesome co-hosts, Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And Laura Nash. How are you? I'm pretty great. And we are talking this week about a... Uh, a topic that we've talked about before, uh, this has become a sort of a tradition. In fact, this is the third year in a row that we've done an episode covering the games that have won Apple Design Awards for this year, the 2016 Apple Design Awards. Three times. Three years. Crazy. I didn't even Feels realize. Like only, yeah, yeah. It, like, it felt like we hadn't been doing the podcast that long at all, but one of the earliest things we did uh, was this. So... Um, it, it's really, it we haven't been doing this thing quite three years yet, but it just, we almost, almost. Yeah, and, um, you know, the reason we do this is obviously um, Reagan and I met in an Apple store. I think that uh, we both work there. I think Apple plays a pretty big part in our gaming lives. And this tends to uh, highlight some really interesting games or some focus of the mobile platform. So it's fun to talk about it. Yeah, and I started off designing games for iPad and iPhone. And I think that, I mean, Apple Design Awards are a little odd because they're not the best games of the year, but they are no. often games that spotlight something that Apple really likes, like accessibility or game kit integration or it's written in Swift or occasionally it's just so gratuitously beautiful that you cannot <laughs> not give it a design award. And I think this year is kind of a combo of all of those. They're not necessarily games that are the first thing you think of when you think of the platform, but they're all really interesting. Yeah, I think the Apple Design Awards are kind of, like we don't really have a award for best iPhone game of the year. Like, I'm sure Touch Arcade does a game of the year thing once a year, but there, there's not really a, like, definitive, this is the Oscars of iPhone games or something like that. So this kind of is that de facto award. And it is kind of weird that every year this this award is really not for game design. This game, this this award is for, like, app and technology and graphic design in video games, which is a weird kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like not, these are not always the best, most fun games, but they are always something that's like, this is, this is telling us something about where the platform is going. And iOS as a platform is really important to me, uh, to, to the show, because a lot of the games we cover are on iOS or at the very least, even if it's not necessarily like, this is where the platform is going. It tells us a lot about where, Apple thinks the platform is going in terms of where video they games. want it to go. Yeah. yeah. And and where sometimes they're steering those, it. Yeah. Very often those lines do cross. I mean, there have been some awesome games that oh, have yeah. been selected in this. Uh Monument Valley, a iPhone classic, was a winner of this award. Mm -hmm. Um last year awards were were really great. Go back and listen to our episode from last year. I wasn't on it, so you know sadness there but like amazing games like crossy road which was a you know a phenomenon uh does not commute which tells an interesting story in a way that you know i have never seen before or since in a video game and has some really fun gameplay really interesting stuff yeah i would also say too um again i w they're not always the most fun but you can tell usually within about a minute of playing an Apple Design Award-winning game, like why it won the award. 
Uh, like, I even think of like a game from last year, like Shadowmatic. It was fine. It was fun, kind of um, satisfying sometimes, but it was also really, really cool looking and like a, a, a um, like a graphic style that we had never really seen able to be done on an iPhone before. Um, and I felt the same way about all the games this year. Uh, started them within like a minute or two. I'm like, okay, I see why. Now I'm gonna just keep playing through it. Yeah. Yeah, and never underestimate the importance of a good hook. All of these games. When you start playing them, not only do you know why they were chosen for a design award, but you tend to see what kind of person would like this game. Yeah. And it's a lot more straightforward than a lot of other games on the App Store where you might not see its importance for another five levels. These games write what you open them, what you see on the till is what you get. And I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. So, so the first game that won an award this year, an Apple Design Award, and we're we're not going to talk about all of the uh, things that that won Apple Design Awards that aren't games. Obviously, there are some really interesting apps that won some design awards uh, that are not games. We're not going to be discussing those in this episode. Boring. Although Streaks <laughs> is good if you're trying to do something like I like that. Streaks is okay. Anyway, um, they're good apps. They are very good apps. But uh, but the first one that was a game that won this year was Chameleon Run. And this is a game that I'd actually been playing. Quite, like I bought this the first day that it came out uh, because I follow a couple of the developers from Noodle Cake Studios on Twitter. Um, and Noodle Cake has put out some amazing games <laughs> in the past. It's a good name, too. It, it really Noodle is. Cake. And actually, my, my, I have to give a quick shout out to my favorite game that they've done, which is free uh, to play and has some ads, uh, which you can buy, uh, buy your way out of. They uh, Right in the <laughs> aftermath of Flappy Bird, they came out with Flappy Golf, which is genius it's a great combination of flappy bird and golf but obviously they have they've created a bunch of other uh well-known games i think they made some other golf game that i'm blanking on the name of at the moment ah well known yes anyway <laughs> noodle cake games uh came out with chameleon run this year i think it's their flashiest looking game to date really cool looking game it's also brutally brutally hard absolutely i tend to think that I'm very I'm really good at like platformers it's an auto or it's a uh, auto runner yeah mm-hmm. um with we talked actually a little bit about it at the end of last episode but two buttons jump and switch colors and it moves so fast you almost have to memorize the levels like you win it on trial and error and just I mean, to me, just remembering what's going to come next. It's it gets so fast that I don't know how you can have the like instincts to just like beat a level on the first couple tries. Yeah, it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of tries. Um, but it, a few things about this game that are really neat. First off, it is very pretty for a game like this. Um, you know, it's it's a sort of two D presentation, but it's all three D graphics, and they're incredibly smooth. It's very simplistic, like you know, just just. Uh, your little dude is basically a sphere for a head and some little tubes for a body, um, and he's running through a world that is entirely uh, rotating solid color rectangles of various sizes. But that said, like it looks slick. Like the animation mm-hmm. is constantly at at least sixty FPS. It is incredibly slick looking, um, and I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons that uh, Apple wanted to highlight this game uh, is that it has such incredibly fluid uh, animation, uh, and it's got to be, I I would imagine, using the Metal APIs. 
Oh, it's got it. And something else that I saw when I was hearing about Wyatt One was the developer wanted to develop a game that he could play, and he's colorblind. So he picked these really vivid neon colors that completely changed the look and feel of the game solely so he could see a difference. Hmm. And I love the energy that those colors he chose give the game. There's so many games that are, you know, poppy, modern, like 1950s modern colors, but this one just goes full neon. And the other thing he said was uh, he wanted a game that he could play one-handed with minimal controls. Apple sometimes loves minimal controls, sometimes loves complicated stuff, but I think the combo of someone who's talking a little bit about accessibility plus all of the multi-touch Siri integration TV stuff he threw in probably pushed it over the edge. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that probably pushed it over the edge in terms of you know what Apple is trying to highlight here is that this is a universal game for iPhone, iPad, and also Apple TV, and it supports game controllers on the Apple TV or the Siri remote. Um, and so, you know, even Apple has a page where they list all of their, uh, Apple design award winners. And if you read their text on it, you can really get an idea of specifically why they chose the games that they did. And this one, the last line of their little, uh, description of it says localized into eight languages. Chameleon run looks fantastic on a big screen and supports game center. So there you have it. I think they probably chose this because it's, uh, accessible. It's accessible to people with, you know, things like, uh, um, like colorblindness, as you mentioned, it's accessible in eight languages and it looks great and works great on the Apple TV. Um, and I think it's the only game among these, uh, the ones that, that won Apple design awards that is even playable on the Apple TV. So I'm sure that they just felt they had to include at least something, uh, on that device. Yeah. I, two things on that. Uh, first of all, another thing you're leaving out is that your character explodes. uh, (laughs) And that's always, always a benefit uh it explodes and then starts over almost immediately uh which is great i love a game that is going to kill me a lot but allow me to jump back in almost immediately after my death uh and second of all uh if they wanted to they could localize this game into any language that exists because there's maybe 10 words total in the whole game and it's like the tiny little chapter names Mm -hmm. um not to knock i love that they localized it but like I feel like they could have do as many languages they, they, they need to in no time. And before we move off of this game, I do want to just say this game is incredibly addictive. And yet I have put it down. And that's because like it's it's it has an incredibly steep difficulty curve. Every level is hard, but they get really, really, it's really hard. Really hard. Um, you hit the wall hard oh, man, and you yes. cannot really get past it. Yeah. And I, I am very proud to say that uh, the first I don't know. There's sort of like collections of levels. Um, I did all of the first collection of levels and I did all of the achievements or whatever are that are a part of that, which requires playing through each one of them dozens, dozens of times. Um, and I was really jazzed about it. And then I realized there was a second set of levels and I was like, nope. And I can't even get past the first level in that second set of levels. And I don't think I ever will. I think I'm done with it. So it's, if, if a brutally hard auto runner, I love auto runners. I love endless runners. Um, I, I just running. Yeah. I played just, like, unbelievable running, amounts of Alto's adventure and a bunch of the others. Um, <laughs> I, by the way, I 100% literally Alto's adventure. did I tell you guys this? every achievement but yeah this game is brutally hard i won't be finishing it no i and i i too again I, like i feel like i'm really good at games like this and 
it, it's like you have to like brute force it. Yeah, um, but it's only two dollars. Um, yeah, yeah, money well spent. Uh, I I think I will. This is a game that I'm going to keep on my iPhone and just like I'll get it in my head that I like I'm gonna beat this level and then I'll spend you know however many times and then play the next one die 15 times back. Like, okay, not playing this game for a week and then a week <laughs> later I'll pick it back up and eventually. Maybe by this time next year, I will complete Chameleon Run. Yeah, I'm going to give it another try. Um, now, I have a, uh, I have an Apple TV, and I have the game controller for it, and I basically never use that thing. Uh, but the next time I have some time sitting in front of the Apple TV with nothing better to play, um, I'm going to try it that way and see if maybe I can get a little farther. I actually played some Alto's Adventure on my Apple TV last night. Oh, nice. It's a very pretty game on a full screen like that. Again, should have won an Apple Design Award last year. Totally robbed. Reagan is flashing his Alta's Adventure tattoo that he has right now. <laughs> it's a uh, he got a caribou like on his cheek. It's disgusting. He are they carib- Wait, are they caribou? Yeah, it was a really it was really a mistake when I got the caribou and then realized llamas. that they were llamas later. So <laughs> yeah, really I don't know what you were thinking. Yeah. Um, so the next game that Apple awarded this year was one not from an indie developer, but from a pretty major uh, publisher, Square Squeenix. Enix. And, and that's Lara Croft Go. Um, I didn't play so much of this one. I, I played a little bit, but I played more of the one that sort of came before it in this loose series. I played a bit of uh, Hitman Go, but not very much of Lara Croft Go. Uh, you guys have played more of it than me. What did you think of it? Yeah, so it's a um, kind of a swipey puzzle game where you're going through stage by stage um, a little bit of the Monument Valley, like you can go X place and do something and, you know, pull a lever and something change in the environment. But the difference of Lara Croft Go is um, you have guns and you can shoot the things in your way. So a lot of times you're sneaking up behind um, lizards or um, snakes. Snakes. Spiders, um, spiders, other different character, other different monsters. They all have different behaviors, and the puzzle is to sneak around them, get past them, and get to the goal. Um, I see exactly why they chose it for a design award. I don't know why they chose it for Game of the Year last year. Apple, I kind of disagree on that, but mm. I do see why. I mean, there's it's beautiful. It's 3D. The whole thing's on this be- isometric. Um, turned um view and it's very responsive you move one step i mean the animations are smooth beautiful and it's taking this you know laura croft and putting it on your phone so Mm -hmm. i think just for that and it's still feeling like a laura croft game even though it's step by step gets him a lot of praise and a lot of goodwill from apple yeah I would say, like, it accomplishes what it's trying to do very, very well. The game is polished, super smooth. There's lots of good little animation flourishes, too. Like, Lara Croft, uh, it's, they call it turn-based. I mean, the game is, like, you're technically pretty much walking around on, like, a grid. Your Lara Croft stays still, and everything in the, in, the, in the world stays still until you swipe a movement direction. And when you move a step, like, a spider might move a step, like nothing moves unless you're moving. So it does it's a lot. Very of slow chess with mm-hmm. the environment. Yeah, and some really unique puzzles. I've played very far into the game. It's actually a pretty long game, um, which I think is another element of it uh, that they they really they made a ton of levels, a ton of stages, and it does progress pretty nicely. Like when you start, 
you're just uh, getting around snakes. Um, and then they started adding in like lizards and then spike traps Spiders, and then yeah. uh, bol- uh, boulders, a like classic kind of adventure game, you know, boulder coming down and it's chasing you or, you know, it's going in a straight line. You have to evade it. Um, but like the ball doesn't move unless you're moving. So you're like space by space. Um, it's a really pretty game. It's I, I've been enjoying it. It is a simple puzzle game, but the puzzles are just tricky enough where you do kind of have to like stop you analyze yeah yeah exactly you have to analyze the room find the goal and then figure out the the perfect steps the perfect movement um you know arrangement to get to the end uh i definitely recommend it if you're looking for a simple puzzle game that uh it checkpoints at every single puzzle um so you can pull it up do a couple put it down uh, i think it's 4.99 um Currently two dollars. Oh, nice! Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 not it's not a game that like I'm like yeah like all right I'm playing some Lara Croft, but it's just like it's satisfying, it's simple, and it looks great. So I think what's probably right. most interesting about this game is just that it exists at all, and that this series, like from Square Enix, uh, taking their uh, taking their biggest series and kind of scaling them down for touch-based devices and really rethinking how they play from the ground up. Uh, It's just interesting that it exists at all. Um, It kind of makes you think about like, you know, back a few years ago, you know, if you look at like when the iPad was brand new, there was a lot of thought that like these touch devices were going to be like a real first-class gaming platform and that there were going to be like expensive, big-deal apps from major public, uh, major, major game studios and publishers that were going to be, you know, this was going to be the new consoles. And that didn't really pan out. The The market just isn't, isn't right for that. But this, I think, actually finds a really interesting niche that's kind of in between. It gets the cachet of these existing big gaming properties. People look at this and say, oh, a Lara Croft game. I can totally, you know, I know that that's, that's a, a thing that's like, those are worth money. Uh, they're something that is going to be engaging. And, and you know, there's going to be some serious uh, game publisher weight behind promoting it. Um, but it's also... It's a touchscreen puzzle game, and you know there are a zillion and, and ten of those on the App Store. But this is a really interesting sort of meet in the middle position where these companies aren't going to commit their full weight to making, uh, you know, you're not going to see a, a sixty or even a twenty dollar big game release on uh, iOS devices, but you can see this five dollar game with a big name attached to it. And it could be a big success. I think it's just interesting from a business perspective. Yeah. Do you think um, that this this like kind of development environment is because of a limitation in hardware, or a um, because of the market of how kind of app development and app sales matured to like? People won't spend more than a dollar or it needs to be freemium. Like what is holding back, you know, major companies from making major games on the phone on these devices? I think it's a combination because you see things like the Infinity Blade series. Uh, You have seen ports of stuff like Bioshock. You can play Bioshock on your iPad. That's a good point. Um, So it's not necessarily a hardware limitation. I think that some of it is that console style games have a much more complex um, input system. It's not made for touch. I mean, it, 
think about the screens you see in Fallout. You're never going to want to play anything like that on an iPad. Like you're you're not, menu based systems are just they suck on touchscreen. And I think that you need something that's pretty simple, pretty intuitive, can be done with multi touch, and that requires a real rethinking of the current combat system in most combat games or console games. I yeah. think you're right about that the combat because like touchscreens are just straight up bad for nego- negotiating a 3D space in a first person perspective and so many of the biggest games or even third person and so many of the biggest games are really about that. I would kind of beg to differ about menus. Like I think uh, touchscreens are amazing for choosing things from menus. Like if you're playing I could see I don't know why there aren't more um RPGs but I think a lot of it just comes down to um, business reasons. People don't see their touchscreen devices, even their $600 iPad, uh, as a first-class gaming device. And they're not going to, to you know, I think it, it might be a bit of a different thing if you could go down to GameStop and buy a disc and stick it into your iPad. But that's literally, I mean, that's a ridiculous idea. Well, Bioshock sold for $5, $10? Yeah, 99 cents every now and then if you look at the right time. Which is kind of terrifying for a developer. But Bioshock is 10 years old now. Yep. You know, so like that's actually the fact that a 10-year-old game is still even being sold. How much did they spend on the port, though? Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the port is only a couple of years old. Uh, it, it's, it's, I think it really just comes down to if you're going to make a game and invest an enormous amount of time and developer energy and money in it, and then it, it appears on the App Store right next to a game that is free or another game that costs 99 cents. It's just you're going to have a hard time making that pitch to customers. Yeah, see, that's I, I, I think weighing the two, um, you know, is it hardware or is it um, environment? I, I kind of believe the environment is the more um, has the bigger impact mm-hmm. on on this type of on development, because um, I think. With enough, you know, the right mindset and the right uh, budget, somebody could make a crazy, you know, I'm thinking like a JRPG that's mm-hmm. like a fully fleshed. Uh, and obviously, the market for that there may are not be there are ports huge, that but, you know you can see like Square Enix has ported basically all of the Dragon Quest games and a bunch of the the Final Fantasy mm-hmm. games, and they hold firm on prices that are above ten dollars for each game, um, yeah. and they sell. Uh, but you have to be a Square Enix in order to pull that on the App Store. And even then, if you look at the reviews for those games, it is nothing but people bitching about the price. Um, yeah. So it's – And that's the environment. Know. Yeah. Like it's – you know, you look at the App Store and, you know, you go to top charts free. I bet is the mm-hmm. most looked at thing on the App Store. Um, and sure, the, most of those games end up not being free. They're, you're paying somehow, uh, which I'm not even saying is a bad thing. It's just kind of how the – the, the system works. So I don't know if we'll ever see um, major game development outside of, I guess like games like clash of clans and stuff like that are, are where a lot of the direction is going to like pseudo social kind of yeah. game, you know, those have um, never engaged me at all. And I mean, the, like if you enjoy those games, like good for you. I know a lot of people that I, I follow on Twitter were actually pretty enthusiastic about, for example, like um, um, Clash Royale, which came out this year, probably the most high profile uh, iPhone game release of the year so far. And um, yeah, I'm just not interested in that stuff. 
I, I think that we're never going just the way that things are going. Um, I don't think there's really anything that can be done at this point to make uh, smartphones or like touchscreen devices like iPads um, real first class gaming platforms. I just really hope that doesn't mean that portable games as a market dry up entirely. Like you look at the PlayStation Vita, which has some really cool games. Interesting stuff still comes out on it, but it's, you know, it's, there's no Vita 2 on the horizon and it's, it's getting a little long in the tooth and is lacking a lot in, in developer support and something like the Nintendo uh, 3DS, um, similar kind of story there. It's getting towards the end of its life. We just don't know what's coming next. It, it, we may end up in a situation where there really isn't a kind of a class portable game experience uh, and all we're left with when we're playing portable games are these smaller experiences that are like, you know, I, I'm not even talking about like big budget stuff. I'm talking about just like good indie games that focus on gameplay and aren't about, uh, you know, collecting gems. As long as Nintendo is keeping Pokemon entirely in house, <laughs> there will always be a Nintendo that is handheld true. device. That is true. But. The people behind Ingress and Attic Studios are putting mm. out a mm-hmm. um, location-based Pokemon game. I know. I signed up for the beta for. I signed <laughs> up for the beta for that, and I have not been invited yet. But um, I'm actually looking forward to checking it out. But I don't know what's going to become of there that. There's never been a more misleading commercial than the Pokemon Go commercials against oh. what the actual. It's like a Jack in the Box taco commercial. <laughs> to what Jack and Box tacos actually look like is what the Pokemon Go commercials are. And I'm super hyped about the game, but they're I'm like level four in Ingress. Like, there's no way that Pokemon Go is anything like those commercials. It's, it's <laughs> insane. They're like, like in towns, they're in like, uh, uh, damn it, downtown New York, Times Square. Um, they're like in ta- uh, Times Square, like fighting a Mewtwo. Everyone's on their phones, <laughs> like, holy shit. And I'm like, that's not how, like, I love that. It's not how any of this works. That commercial, it gets me, like, a million times, like, in the heartstrings. I'm like, that's all I've ever wanted. But, like, I know that's not what that game is going to be. It's going to be looking at your phone and the augmented reality thing where you, like, never really works like you want it to. Hopefully Mm -hmm. they, I mean, like, I hope they pull it off. But, like, I just... It's, I mean, I collected <laughs> all of the Pokemon in the Google Maps April Fool's game. Oh, my so. God. I forgot about that. That was really yep. neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, And I hope they do it globally. Like, I would love it if there's Pokemon that are, like, in the, the, the real desert and you have to be, like, in the desert to get it. You know, like, I, I have high hopes for the concept of the game. Those commercials are just way, way misleading. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I think it's going to be an interesting year for iOS games. Um, Can we talk about my favorite design award? Oh, yes. Okay, so we saved the best for last, and then we actually do have a few more to talk about with the student winners, but Inks. Inks. Inks is the best game if you want to be better at pinball and you want to do it in a beautiful, messy way. It's got this, so it's a pinball training game is how I, I think of it. Um, you play a pinball game and you occasionally hit these kind of uh, pockets of color that then splash ink across. And as your ball passes through it, it leaves these gorgeous trails. So by the end of the game, you have this kind of map of what you did. And it's a little shameful because if you miss the ball too many times, your ball gets colored black and then suddenly your entire 
map is just a sad, black, scriggly mess. But most of the time, if you play well, it is just really soothing and gorgeous. And it's kind of a pinball puzzle game. I really dig it. I dig it too. And I really, and it's funny because when I first tried it out, I didn't so much get it. Um, I, I really like pinball games. We've did a, we did a whole episode on pinball video games on this show where um, I was pretty much the only one talking. And um, like I was basically chewing Shane's ear off telling him about all of my favorite pinball video games. Um, by the way, you should all go play uh, uh, Rollers of the Realm, which is so good and didn't get enough uh, like uh, credit. But anyway, go back and listen to that episode if you're interested in my yammering about pinball video games. When I first played this game, I, I, my kind of thought on it was like, oh, that's it? Like, there's not a lot going on here. Every pinball table is the size of your phone screen and really has just like four or five targets for you to hit. And it's extremely small. Um, and it's not flashy looking at first until the, the ink of all of those targets gets sort of spread around, but it does just look really, really realistically like ink on paper. Um, and your ball is like hitting these ink pockets and bursting them and the color explodes out of them. The ball gets coated. It leads trails around and that's cool looking, but I think it was when Laura described the game as a pinball training game that I kind of really figured out like, like my perspective on the game changed and I actually really started enjoying it. At first I thought, this is way too simple. There's not enough going on here. Where's my score? You know, like I was kind of acing every table after like three or four tries and moving on to the next one. And I didn't get that feeling of trying the same thing dozens and dozens of times and progressively getting better at it. But then I realized like, oh yeah, this is, it's a training game. You're you're learning to make trick shots. Every one of these little tables is just a very specific little pinball trick shot. And the ink mechanic isn't just eye candy. It looks awesome, but it really is all about showing you the path of your ball. You know, once your Where ball you starts getting, yeah. exactly. You know, once your ball starts getting covered in ink, it leaves these trails behind it that kind of tell you, oh, I can see there's a great big glob of ugly colored ink here because I'm constantly hitting this at the wrong angle and my ball keeps ending up there. It's really interesting. And once I started thinking about it as a pinball trainer rather than as just like a full-fledged pinball game, it made a lot more sense. So I mentioned I played this first at work during a particularly hard day and the designers just flocked around my phone and were staring at it and being like, oh my God, the colors are so pretty. Um, and they loved the sounds. Everyone saw it as kind of a, a meditative thing. Um, if you're not a designer, maybe you're not going to be quite as excited about ink mixing as those people were. But I will say that uh, State of Play did the uh, cutout paper game uh, Lumio City, I believe. Uh, Lum Lumino, yeah. I, Lumino. That's been on our list for ages, and we still haven't managed to, to do an episode on it, but it's definitely recommended. It's really, really pretty, too. Um, but it's a more sort of traditional like puzzle adventure game, I guess. Yeah, but it just shows that they like dealing with physical objects in the digital world. So I'm really intrigued by what they do next. I would love to see these mechanics kind of expanded into a more full-fledged pinball game. Um, like they clearly nail the pinball physics and they have some really clever ideas here. Um, I would, I would love to see more of this and I haven't beaten all of its levels yet. Um, I was trying to get like, 
you get different levels with different like uh, like you can get a gold star or a silver or a bronze or black and black just means you are you know died you too just many times barely barely past the minimum requirements for this level and you're garbage but um i've been trying to get at least like silver or gold on every single level and i'm about halfway through i think and um still enjoying it still pull it out every now and then to try a little bit another table or two so definitely recommended my favorite as as well of this year's um uh, ada award-winning selections it's funny so pinball is something that i've never cared about honestly the last time i can remember really loving a pinball game was a terrible game called sonic spinball <laughs> that i had one of my least for, favorite actually it's i know right but i had it for sega when it was a game for sega playing it on my <laughs> sega and i played it all the damn time and i loved that game and i know now as you know i i recognize that it, it was a bad game but I played so much Sonic Spinball. Oh man, there are some really, really good uh, pinball games from that era. If you um, Pokemon if you, Pinball, Pokemon Pinball is like really it's decent. Great, um, yeah. But there's a there's a, for the Genesis. There's a game called I'm going to butcher the name now. It's actually a port of a TurboGrafx 16 game. Um, I'm going to mix up their names, so I'm going to look it up. Um, if you guys ever want to see something super pathetic. Um, so I've got some like weird eye issues, and one of them is that like it's hard for me to track small, quick moving things. So whenever I play pinball, uh, it's basically watch Nate just hit the flippers, uh, hope that that I kind of hit the ball when it's in the area. But I normally I put in the fifty cents, and I'm dead within like thirty seconds because I just like can't track the ball quick enough, and I just die immediately. I'm a lot better in person. Than I am on digital. Yeah. He, okay. Here it is. Sorry. Uh, it was Dragon's Fury, which is a port of the TurboGrafx 16 game Devil Crush. I guess they took the devil out. Those were hard they, words. Too. They didn't like to uh, to make um, uh, games with devil or things like that in the name back in those days. But Dragon's Fury for the Genesis is a fantastic pinball game for for that from that era, and really makes Sonic Spinball look like really clunky by comparison. Yeah. And you guys talked about it on the pinball episode, but um, we're getting like on a crazy tangent on this. But I just have to say, if you want a really interesting story, read the history of pinball in America. Read about the history of pinball in America. It is crazy, uh, like where it started and what it became, and then like what it is now. It was illegal, um, like kind of, they were like burning pinball. Uh, my favorite, my favorite fun fact about uh, pinball is the reason fa- the Fonz and Happy Days always played pinball was because that at that time was like a sign of like a bat like a like a bad guy like you <laughs> yes. were like yeah like you were like a you know don't care about the law like badass if you played pinball and then like now you know we watch and he kind of looks goofy he's like hey come on and like hits the pinball machine but like for that time everyone'd be like ooh look at that <laughs> he's guy so dope. yeah exactly <laughs> Laura, I'm, I'm taking away your your uh, your cool points for that one. Are he's so dope? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do I have cool points? When did I get cool points? I I, I, I gave them to you and then re- uh, reclaimed them. Um, we should probably quickly mention the two uh, student winners of Apple Design Awards this year. Um, and I went ahead and played both of these. Um, uh, every year, Apple gives out 
they don't seem to have a set number of design awards that they give out, but it's always, I think, two student awards. Um, there's less games winning this year than last, and there were even more games in you know the year before that, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But this year, the two Apple Design Award winners uh, for students were Linum or Linum uh, by uh, Joaquin Villa, I'm guessing at the name there, um, and Divider. Uh, by Josh Diekman, Patrick Pistor, and Eric Lydic, I think. Yes, okay. So those are the names. And uh, um, I played both of these. Uh, Linum is a puzzle game. Uh, and I I think, well, with both of these, it's pretty clear why they why they awarded them. First off, Linum is really attractive. It's very simple. Uh, it's a puzzle game where you're presented with some lines with little joints in them. And you have to tap the joints uh, of the lines to kind of tick the lines to rotate in various different directions to kind of uh, connect various different points. You're kind of like, uh, imagine kind of like moving the hands of a clock, but the hands of the clock are attached to other hands of clocks, attached to other hands of clocks, and you're trying to kind of get them to rotate into particular shapes. And it's a pretty pretty good little puzzle game. It seems like they have a lot of levels, um, and it starts very, very simple and eventually ramps up very smooth kind of shallow difficulty curve. Um, I think probably why they uh, awarded this game was that it's uh, it uses a lot of Apple's kind of newer or more um, sort of fancy uh, uh, features for developers. So according to the description on the Apple Design Awards page, it uses uh, UI view animations, core data, storage kit, uh, replay kit, and game center. So basically ticking all the boxes of things that uh, that Apple is interested in people incorporating or using in their games. Um, while also being pretty attractive. Like, it's a very good-looking game. Did Apple tell them that they were getting rid of Game Center before? <laughs> uh, which I think we should probably talk about now. I mean, it is an interesting move uh, on Apple's side to, uh, to Honestly, once iOS 10 comes out. Finally. It makes like, sense. It's, uh, game Center was such a good idea handled so badly that I think a retreat from it is the only possible course. Um, you know, just for folks who don't play a lot of iPhone games, I guess manage, you know, wow, how did you get this deep into this episode? But to kind of <laughs> recap the problems with Game Center, um, you know, when, when uh, Xbox uh, Live was like the talk of everyone and, you know, the idea of having a buddy list of people you could play with across games was still a kind of a new and interesting idea. Um uh, you know, uh, Steam buddy lists, for example, was still like, you know, wow, I can just make friends with someone one time and then I don't have to configure my ports to play games with them across things. And I, yeah, it, it was a kind of early stages. We're talking like iOS 5, I think. Um, they added a like game center, which let you create a list of friends and then use that list of friends in games across the platform, across iOS, which seemed like a really good idea. And they've continued to add more features onto it, things like um, some options to use it as the backbone for turn-based games so that you don't have to run your own servers or don't have to completely run all your own servers for everything, don't have to set up your own account system for handling multiplayer, don't have to host your own service for doing um, leaderboards, that kind of thing. But the problem Challenge. Challenges, achievements, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, achievements. Yeah, the, the, the big problem with Game Center is that it's never really worked reliably. It's been uh, an inconsistent mess. There are some folks who have, uh, for years, not been able to use Game Center on phones that otherwise work perfectly fine, with Apple IDs that otherwise work perfectly fine. Um, it, it's just been a really inconsistent mess. Um, and it's, 
it's always kind of felt like this abandoned property. Like Apple has a, a game center icon on your home screen when you buy a brand new game, but most people never touch it because it's not widely used. It hasn't been a success. And so I think it makes sense to kind of take that icon off the home screen. I think what they're going to end up doing is kind of keeping some of those features around, but kind of pushing them off to the side and making them just sort of it's, basic OS level features rather than kind of under yeah. a big headline brand like Game Center. Well, yeah, it's becoming Game Kit. Invite- oh, I'm sorry. It's becoming a back-end tool set called Game Kit, much like you have all the other home kit, all those other things. Yeah, so you might, if you invite someone to a game, it actually sends them a text message with a link using Game Kit features, but it, it, it's going to feel a little bit more native rather than this weird third-party thing that's buggy. I would have rather them actually put the resources behind it and make Game Center a functioning full-on thing than get rid of it. Um, it obviously wasn't working in the um, in its state as it was, but I actually I really liked being able to go on to Game Center and it, it, and look at all the stupid games I'm playing and how much better I'm doing than all my friends. Oh, I love that. I love seeing that I beat you know Reagan for. Tiny wings and things like there that. There was about a month period where I made it when Reagan was um, talking about Alto's adventure every single time we met. We're kind of back at that point, actually. But uh, <laughs> when Alto first came out, I mean, that was like all, and he would just post his scores over and over. So I was like, well, I'm going to do what I can to make sure he's not leading in any other game on Game Center. So I was just downloading games that I could see Reagan's score on and just to try to beat those <laughs> scores. And I yeah. did. I felt really good about it. Even yeah. stupid games like Pancake. It was satisfying. Your Pancake score high. was very impressive. It was very good. Thank yeah. you. Crossy Road as well. At the same time, Justin has been kicking everybody's ass at threes for months and game center's buggy and it's not posting his top score so he is 30k ahead of all of us and that for some godforsaken reason isn't showing up in threes yeah so i feel like that is really disappointing if you work really hard to get a high score and that's why it's not perfect yeah i I just i really liked that side of it and that's what makes me bummed for it to go away I would have I like I like the idea of Game Center because of these stupid games that we all pl- get super addicted to play for like you know 2 weeks and then throw away like it's fun to see like oh Laura is playing also playing this stupid game that I you know that was recommended to me and there's like fad games that everyone plays for you know sometimes like 3 days before it goes away like it was fun to have that connection with everyone and see how you were doing. It didn't work all the time and it was kind of hard to get to and the UI is crappy, but like the concept of it, I, I really liked it. So I'm bummed to see it go yeah. away entirely. I am bummed that there won't be a central place to look at leaderboards like that. It seems like most yeah. of the key features are sticking around. For example, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you'll still be able to host a, uh, you know, a, leaderboard that's based on this game kit thing that that it, this is turning yeah. into it's just going to be siloed into your app it's not going to be something that you can look at in a system-wide feature that includes all games um and I, i'll kind of miss that but i don't think i'll miss it as much as all that like it just you know. yeah i mean it would be like the example that i think of too that'd be that was really fun about it and i think you're like this can still exist within games and i imagine that it will um but like in Crossy Road, I'm just playing, and then there's like a dotted white line with someone's uh, uh, one of my friends on Game Center. It's their high score, 
mm-hmm. and now it's on my screen, and I like I know yeah, what. And they I didn't have to them. send you that high score or challenge exactly. you or anything. It's just there. It just and I, existed yeah, in the game. I agree, and I. I think that will still exist on GameKit uh, in the back end. Like, they can integrate that because that's a really cool feature. But it would also be fun to – I like to be able to go and look at, like, what high score did Reagan just get in a game that I don't even have? Oh, he got this? Okay, I'm going to download it and c- commit the next two hours to taking Reagan down from the inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Game Center, the other game that's a student winner also uses Game Center and a few other key things, uh, Divider, and that's – uh, that's using official startup spelling, D-I-V-I-D-R. Um, Divider is a action arcade game, uh, so rather than a puzzle game like the other. And uh, the one thing that this does that I think is kind of cool is it's really based on 3D touch, um, or at least if you have a 3D touch device, it's very based on 3D touch. You uh, you control a little dot that's at the bottom of the screen, and a series of kind of walls are coming towards you. Uh, and if you press down on the screen, uh, in a very analog way, it senses how much pressure you're putting on the screen. And based on the amount of pressure, your little one dot splits up into two dots and navigates through holes in the walls that are, that are coming towards you. It's just a very simple, very, uh, you know, it's a basic, but pretty addictive little, uh, 2d action arcade game. Um, and I think that Apple probably awarded this game, uh, because, you know, it's it's fun and it's uh, it's really well done, um, but also it's entirely written in Swift and makes heavy use of that 3D touch. And I really wish that more games would make more use of 3D touch because it it gives you a sort of analog feel that you don't get from basic on-screen touchscreen buttons. Yeah, and it plays okay if you don't have 3D touch. Um, I don't. I have an iPhone 5S, and basically, it, it just does length of time. It doesn't destroy the game but i it's interesting for a game that uses 3d touch and makes it available on non 66 plus devices i kind of want to see a game that just goes completely whole 3d touch is completely required i was surprised this played at all on my phone you know i actually don't think that's possible according to the app store guidelines at this point like really? um there because i don't think you you can restrict your um now, I'm not a developer, and I'm not always up to date on this stuff. So, you know, if I'm wrong, I guess, you know, email me. But um, <laughs> if you uh, – I'm pretty sure that you can restrict your device, your your app, to things like size classes. But I don't think that you can restrict uh, a device – you can restrict your app to downloads or purchases based on whether the device has 3D touch or not. I don't think that's something you I can I know you yet. can on hardware limitations. Yeah, I mean, from, from my experience, it was more of um, – you can set the lower boundary of the oldest device it's available for. So you could probably say, will that run? Um, you know, sometimes it's been based on chips. Sometimes it's the latest. I, I'm just curious that um, if 3D touch becomes so integral to the game, kind of like when um, front-facing camera became yeah. important to the game. And and games without a front-facing camera couldn't do a game. There's a lot of things that... Sometimes Apple will come up with new device requirements that are integral, and I'm surprised that this game used 3D Touch but didn't make it a requirement. Well, the, the Apple yep. is still selling brand new phones that are like completely new, like the new um, what's the what's the new version of the 5S SE, called? Yep. The SE, the SE. like yep. that just came out, no 3D Touch, and so I, I think Apple probably doesn't want people to make apps 
or games probably that absolutely strictly require 3D touch, I still think they kind of think of it as an extra for, you know, making things better experiences or giving you shortcuts rather than something that they want whole experiences devised around. Yeah. As someone who's actively designing for iPhone, not making 3D touch a requirement means that you don't put it in apps. Yeah. Well, the thing with 3D touch too is that like, so I I got a 6s on um, like a week after launch, and uh, you know it's a great phone, upgraded from my 5s, all that. I was very excited about uh, 3D Touch. Like it's a new dimension. Uh, it's 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 expanding what you can do with the screen. I virtually never use it on yeah. the operating system, and my thought was well. I was actually I was really excited about it for the operating system. Never use it. I was like, well, at least I'll probably get games with it because it's expanding the tool set. You know, touchscreen is so limited. It's like at least now we have another type of touch that people can develop around. And I think that will come. But I do think people are afraid, even if there's no limitations on uh, held by Apple. It also makes sense from just the developer's point of view to not base a game around something that only a fraction of the people will have. Like you're, you need everyone to buy your game. Yeah, especially when SE came out without 3D Touch, it was kind of putting a nail in a coffin in my mind. Yeah. And I, I wish that games would focus on it. Like there's so many places where, like even just like something like a driving game, like there are. You could make a driving game on the iPhone and essentially make the 3D touch your like your accelerator, and then you'd be able to drive more than one speed. That would be an amazing yep. interaction, but it does a lot seem to be of cool like, things. I mean, you could do whatever you want with it. It's an additional input. Yeah, you know, um, I just I think it's going to have to be the maybe once the seven or whatever when we're a couple generations into 3D touch. Uh, Got to be, be built into more phones. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's funny though. Like things like um, like the ramp up for folks making Retina uh, apps that happened almost immediately, and it was that was at a time when there were just a handful. Of, like there were a lot of phones out there. Most of them didn't have Retina screens, but practically overnight, it seemed like all the all the apps had Retina graphics. But making, making something, something look, look pretty. pretty. Yeah. <laughs> we said this exact, exact same sentence. That like it's fun to optimize to make stuff look nice, but like a utility within the game like a button it'd be like you know because i mean i would think i think it would almost like right you know a normally on the phone you have an a button and a b button magic touch magic touch 3d touch is giving you a c button you know mm -hmm. and then if you built the game around the c button being a major part but a lot of people still only had a and b it would be that'd be a problem but like yeah. just making a and b look a lot nicer uh, you know, that makes a lot more sense to push out to as many people. Yeah, it's sort of the same problem that I think they're running into with the Apple TV, where they, they want everybody, they want you, they want to make sure that people can buy fancy game controllers for the thing, but they also want to make sure that everyone who doesn't have a fancy game controller can still play the games. And so you have to make these games that essentially work on a one button input like the Siri remote. Um, but then if you have this game controller, then you can do other stuff. You're designing for like two so completely different input methods. So yeah, I, I, I get what you're, where you're coming from. I just sort of wish it were not so. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. I would love to be using 3D touch in my designs, but 
no one is going to pay to do it when it's not the default when it's not on all systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get there. You know, it'll eventually I think it'll be on everything. But with the SE coming out, having come out just so recently, I kind of feel like that's going to take a lot longer than I initially thought. So we talked about all the games that won Apple Design Awards. Before we wrap up, do you guys want to talk a little bit about some games that we think maybe deserved Apple Design Awards or at least some other recognition that uh, that didn't make it this year? This might not deserve a visual design, but from a game mechanic design, Downwell is just spectacular. And I understand, I don't think it's innovating in a new UI toolkit. Oh, it's probably, it's definitely not using 3D Touch, um, not using Metal, but it is so smooth and addictive and perfect for one-handed play. I can't imagine how you play that one-handed. I I can't well, play two. it one-handed I mean, you at need all. It for, you need to go right and left, but yeah. you can kind of play one-handed. You just die a lot. Yeah, it's perfect for <laughs> uh, playing standing up, you know, and not really standing focusing. Play. But yep. but yeah, yeah, my God, one-handed, I could not handle that. But it's yeah, D- Downwell I think is my iPhone game of the year for the the year since that actually came out in late 2015. But it certainly since the last Apple Design Awards, I think it was um, in October uh, of 2015. And Downwell is is an amazing game, plays amazingly well on the iPhone. But even that, I actually think, like, I, I, I bought that for my Vita as well, and having buttons, huge plus. Like, I'm much better at it there because I have buttons, even though this do, it does such a great job of implementing uh, the sort of touch controls. Um, I think the game that I, I think is the game of the year of uh, iPhone games uh, since the last Apple Design Awards was Spider, Right of the Shrouded Moon. We did an episode on it, so I won't belabor the point here, but Right of the Shrouded Moon is fantastic. It brought back everything that I loved about Spider, the first one. Uh, It's richer and deeper as an experience. Um, That game is absolutely great. Um, So if you missed out on it, because it came out in August of 2015, um, definitely go back and play uh, Spider Right of the Shrouded Moon. It's also out on Steam and, uh, and PlayStation now, too. I think Apple's bad about giving awards to sequels because Badlands 2 came out this year and it was gorgeous. Mm, yeah. Um, the Room 3 came out and it was just such a good evolution of that game. I, I don't know if they have ever rewarded a sequel. That's a good point. In a sense, Lara Croft Go is a sequel to Hitman Go, but... Um it's really more of like a the, that series is very interesting. The, you know, it's a, it's a Go sequel, but certainly not a Lara Croft Go sequel. Um, we cannot forget the single biggest hit of 2015, um, Neko <laughs> Oh yeah, Kitty Collector. Man, um, my wife went nuts for that game and played a ton of it, and so I'm very familiar with it, although I haven't played it at all myself, but it's... Oh, I played a lot of it, and uh, Molly also is still playing it. Um, I, a couple people in my group have 100%ed the game, and that's including the uh, the recent updates, like they're adding new kitties um, <laughs> and new, new things, so uh, it would not actually win, um, but it's a a game that I spent a lot of time on. You know, in making our list of of games that we thought that, you know, maybe should have deserved an award that weren't recognized, I have to admit that this year has been a bit light for for great iOS games. Like there've been a few really good ones. Downwell is a particularly good example, but like last year 
at the end of, of the episode, like I wasn't on it, but you know, there was a lot of talk about what a great year it had been for, um, for iOS games this year. Not so much. I don't know if I can point to a cause or if we, I mean, we kind of have already been talking about some of the challenges that the platform faces as a gaming thing, but gosh, it just, it, it's been a, it's been a, a weird year for iPhone games. Yeah. Well, I think there's two different things that we're trying to qualify here or quantify. Um, there's games that would win the Apple Design Award, and then there's really good iPhone games, you know? And I think that there's been plenty of fine, fun, engaging iPhone games, but they're all kind of iteratives of themselves. They're different versions of things that we're already used to. Um, really unique and well-designed and very interesting games. It's they, they, this year, there does seem to be less than maybe the year before. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's like reflective of the, you know, people were doing a lot of hand-wringing about the indie-pocalypse. Uh, and there's there's some truth to that kind of thing, but also I think it's often been a little bit overblown. But on iOS, it really has been a year of consolidating behind big brands like Hearthstone and the Clash of Clans and things like that. And I haven't yeah. seen as many like tiny little ga- like there's there's a few that have stood out that I was like, oh, what a great game. But even like um, uh, I, I really enjoyed a game this year called uh, Tower of Masks, I think. And I'll put a link in the show notes if I got the if I got the name wrong. But like Tower of Masks, super neat little arcade style, uh, one handed oh, play. Oh, Tomb uh, of Tomb, Tomb of, of Masks. Mask. Thank you, Tomb of the Mask. Yeah, super I good game. Um, but it has these, I would say, almost kind of abusive, uh, like free to play mechanics that uh, that eventually made me quit the game. Um, so like, there's. Uh, and I really, yeah. I, I was really enjoying it, but I, I eventually got so tired of seeing advertisements um, that I, I quit playing it. So like we're, we're like a weird stage for this stuff now. Yeah. Or like a great game like uh, Warbits. We did a full episode on it. Mm-hmm. We love that game. I'm still playing that game. I, yeah. I really, really love that game. But when we're talking about like game of the year, uh, you know, design, it's like, it's just a really well put together game. I don't know if I would put it... You know, it's it's essentially a remake in a way of a popular game from uh, uh, you know advanced uh, advanced wars, right? So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, I also think we should couch all this and say that there's a possibility that the three of us have just missed some really great games. Yeah. So totally. if anyone out there is listening and just sitting there like you idiots, <laughs> you haven't talked about this game, or I can't believe you forgot about it. Please let us know because yeah. Uh, I, I I do not want to make a sweeping statement and say like 2016 has been bad for iOS games because like there's been a lot of ga- great games that I've loved. I just don't think there's been any games that everyone has rallied around. Like there's no game like Alto's Adventure. Inks is the closest we have had to everyone suddenly covering a game at the same time. Yeah, there hasn't been an 80 Days or a Monument Valley this year, you know? Yeah, and I, I think there's been games that I've loved that are small, like um, the people who made Tiny Thief, which is this little adorable point-and-click adventure game, which unfortunately is not supported. I don't think it works currently on iOS 10. Um, but l- they made a game called Love You to Bits, which is about, um, like your robot girlfriend explodes and you have to go collect pieces of her. It's adorable. Um, and there's also games like um, The Beggar's Ride, which is this weird platformer that sometimes has dicey controls, but you are 
basically this beggar who gets masks that give you godlike powers, mm-hmm. which is such an incredible. That sounds like a console game, mm-hmm. but it's about two to three hours, and it's on iOS and I it's beautiful. Um, and there's King Rabbit, which I know you played a lot of, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So, That's really cute, and uh, it's a good little puzzle game. And um, uh, but yeah, it, it it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like something that like really draws attention to itself in the way that some of the things we talked about last year or the year before did, like Monument Valley, for example. There's just they they feel like hidden gems. And they don't feel like hidden gems that are screaming for attention. Mm-hmm. Like threes, when I played it, I knew every single person that I met would love it. Same thing with Monument Valley. Same thing with Alta's Adventure. And I don't think there's been games that, no matter how near and dear they are to my heart, that I am positive everyone's going to love. And everyone, if you haven't played Executive, you really still. Oh, I was about to say, except for the Executive. <laughs> Which everyone should play, even though it came out last July. Yeah, the Executive, yeah. definitely pretty good. Um, so, yeah, it, if you have a game that you think, uh, listener, if you have a game that you think uh, that we missed this year, uh, that you think should have won an Apple Design Award or just otherwise is like the awesome uh, game of. Now, when we're talking about this year, we're kind of talking about since last summer because of the way the timing of this works. But if you if you've played a game since last summer that you think is amazing and that we haven't talked about yet, uh, drop us a line, and you can do that at our website www.theshortgame.net. We have a contact form there, or you can write us at info at theshortgame.net, or you can write to us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, one thing I wanted to mention here, by the time you hear this episode, it will probably already have begun, but Laura and I are planning uh, The Short Game's very first video content. Uh, We are going to do a, we have a Twitch stream planned. Uh, We're going to be playing Hadean Lands by uh, Andrew Plotkin. Not a short game. No, not a short game. <laughs> not an easy game. After that, I'm doing a full video stream of Skyrim from the <laughs> beginning to the end, all the DLC. Well, I guess we're kind of doing it because it's uh, it's a game that I have started a little bit and thought was ingenious, but couldn't get very far with. And I wanted to enlist the help of uh, of excellent puzzle solver, Laura. And so, Laura, you are... Uh, you are tasked with figuring this out for me. I'll try to solve all the problems. We'll see. I mean, I do a lot of puzzles in my free time, but that does not mean I'm necessarily going to be excellent at um, alchemy. But we will find out. We shall see. So if you want to keep up with that, uh, it's probably going to be a multi-part thing. It's going to be on Twitch, on my Twitch uh, channel, which I am still in the process of setting up. So watch my Twitter for a link uh, or watch the show's Twitter. Um, And so if you want to keep up with that, uh, it'll be there. And we'll probably also have it on YouTube, probably. And we'll maybe figure out a way to get it to you in audio form as well uh, if it ends up being something that's uh, worth doing in that way we'll figure that out but uh, it'll be new it'll it's be the first time that the short game has tried anything like this so keep an eye out for it and if you want to keep an eye out for it the best way to do that is to follow me on twitter uh, i've been your host reagan kelly and you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and nate where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And do we know what we're playing next? Do we want to say it? We do. Board games. 
party games and board games because we have a schedule now. Yes, we are. We are getting better with the whole scheduling thing. Uh, our next episode, as Laura said, is going to be about board games. If you have a favorite board game uh, that you think we ought to check out, uh, let us know. Um, we did a board game special uh, years ago now, seems like. I think like two plus years ago. Um, I think it was, was like episode before. number seven or yeah. something like that. Yeah, Laura, that was before you came on the show, right? So, yeah, but I think Sibo was on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Seems like an age ago. So we're going to talk about what board games we've played in the last two years. <laughs> um, if you have a favorite board game, let us know about that, too. And thank you so much for joining us on The Short Game.